At 14, that's when I started to make my suicide plan. I was writing the letters, I was collecting the pills. If anyone had looked at me, I'm fine. I'm totally fine. Complete denial. And then I remember my my best friend called me and she was like, can you please come over? My uncle just committed suicide. And I was like, oh, shit. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bunny Hugs and Mental Health Podcast. Free safe space for people to share and learn from others' experiences with mental health and addictions. I'm your host, Todd Rennebaum, suicide attempt survivor and recovering substance user and abuser. Well, I got another lovely episode here with another lovely guest. Her name is Isabel, and she was, uh, well, a suicidal teen. She was having lots of mental health issues, and and today she is helping others. She's a, a, a therapist, a social worker, and she's going to tell her story and how she overcame everything and is now helping people. She is intensely sweet and lovely and charismatic. I uh, can't wait for you to hear her and her story. Next week, I'm speaking with another extremely lovely person, Giselle. And Giselle was married to a fella that was very abusive, uh, emotionally, physically, mentally. Her story is rather heartbreaking, but also inspiring. Trust me, you don't want to miss that one. Uh, her story has a, a very intense ending. Let's put it that way. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm sick. I feel like poo-poo. But anyway, I'm going to persevere. I, I've I've hardly done any work this week, but uh, which is rather annoying for someone like me. Uh, I swear, when I get physically ill, it affects me mentally, maybe more so. I, I just I, I just look around and see all the things I'm not doing. So anyway, I have to remember to to just chill out and get better and uh, invest in my own health. There you go. So there's a little free advice. Hey, follow me on Instagram at Bunny Hugs Podcast and on Facebook, Bunny Hugs and Mental Health. We're going to be giving away more co-op gift cards. Free money from co-op, $25, $50, maybe $75, maybe $100. Uh, you never know. And we're going to be doing more contests, more giveaways and stuff. So, so follow me on there and we'll be doing more giveaways there. Also, I'm very excited about the podcast because there's going to be a lot of cool things coming up in the future here. I'm going to be uh, posting stuff on YouTube real soon. Uh, and not just like newer episodes. I mean, I'm going back in the archives and those are going to be on YouTube soon. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Some of the video quality isn't hundred uh, percent. I'm still learning, especially the older stuff. I mean, I, I, I never intended really to put that stuff on YouTube, but Hey, I got the video. I mean, it's not great quality, but it's, it's still, it's still cool. So, uh, why not? I'm also going to be working on doing a second episode a week. Um, it's going to be different than these full length episodes, but you'll see, you'll see, there's good, you just wait. There's going to be cool. There's cool stuff on the horizon, on, on the horizon. But anyway, uh, you'll see. But for now, for this week's episode, without further ado, I give you Isabel. So my first panic attack, I think I would have been in six or seven years old um and that was probably the first indicator looking back on it again you don't realize these things until years and years later but i was like oh okay it's not really normal for a six or seven year old to be having a panic attack and it was because i lost my goggles i went to swim practice and i lost my goggles and that just set me off I remember running into the change room, hiding in the sauna and just blacking out, not being able to breathe, freaking out. And it was stemming from, I don't even know what, right? It was, my parents are going to be so upset with me. How could I be so dumb? Um, why, why would I do that? And that's a seven-year-old, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, that's not something that you should really be having a panic attack over. <laughs> Pinpoint where all this came from. I think regardless of who you are everyone has childhood trauma everyone's going to have genetic predispositions everyone's going to have their attachment styles and trauma in general and so where that really came from it's probably a whole combination of factors um and then it was around eight years old that the depression started to creep in so i think depression and anxiety are so often one in the same Right. And I think for me, started 
from a place of anxiety and it just fed and fed and fed so much into itself that it turned into depression. And so I remember when I was eight, it was things that I didn't recognize at the time. Like I was a very like kind of morbid child, um, <laughs> contemplating a lot about death, how I myself could die, um, finding comfort in that in a weird way. And I think it, it gave me a sense of control. And I don't know what in my life I felt that I had no control over, but if I could control my own death, maybe that there's some power into that. Mm, interesting. Um, yeah. And then it was, it was really by like ages 11 and 12 that I knew. There? Uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> I, I say that I've been dressed <laughs> about talking about this. I mean it. <laughs> um, and it's honestly, even just like prepping for this made me realize like, Oh fuck. Like, yeah. Um, I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to call you out there, but I, I thought it was no, funny that no, you kept looking. I kept over. like looking over, like, oh, yeah, yeah, like eleven or twelve. <laughs> By the way, I totally relate to everything you're saying so far. Yes. Um, okay. E even like the 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 thoughts of death as a kid and stuff, but I never, until you just said it, realized oh. that was probably a control thing. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's just weird to think about like, why, why does a child want or need so much control? Right. Mm -hmm. Or like what was really going on that made someone need to feel that way. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's been a, a journey even just to think about. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, by the time I was 11 or 12, I was beginning to acknowledge that these were not normal in a way, or that I knew that it was more than just how people think. Um, how, how did you come to that conclusion? Just by comparing yourself to your friends and stuff and yeah, you know, observing or just other people's behaviors and being like, huh? Like, what do you mean you don't think about death all the time? I mean, you don't want to die? Like, <laughs> that's weird. Like, what do you mean? Is um, it me? Yeah. <laughs> And mm. even having like, um, and and again, at the time, I didn't even realize that I was doing it, but very self-harming behaviors. But because it wasn't the classic cutting of the wrists, I didn't even acknowledge it as self-harm. But mm -hmm. looking back on it, it's like, oh, shit. Yeah, that was that was self-harm, right? Like what? Um, like it would be, okay, so like, for example, I remember I used to play bloody knuckles all the time in school. Um, and I still have the scars all over my knuckles from that, from when I was 11, 12 years old. What the hell and is it bloody was, knuckles? It's where you take a loony and you fling it across the table. You put your knuckles down on the table like that and you take a knuckle and you try and hit the other person's. Oh, I see. You, slide, you slide, yeah, a coin across the table and yeah. bang the, the uh, other person. Uh, for, for those international folks listening, a loony is the one dollar oh. coin in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. And like, a that's like okay, kind of a, a morbid game to begin with. But then I would go home, and I would peel at the scabs. And mm. if they started to close over, I would take a knife and I'd reopen them, right? And then you'd just keep peeling and peeling and peeling. And same with other little injuries, like I got. Like I remember my friend scratched me, and I still have the scar from that because I would peel it, peel it, peel it, reopen it. And I have little wounds like that all the, all over. I was able to hide them because people would be like, oh, what happened? Oh, my friend scratched me. Oh, I was jumping a fence and hit my leg on some bar barbed wire or little things like that. Oh, I just scraped my knee. Mm. Um, what about internally? Because when I was younger, I would like torture myself internally as like self-harm. Uh, Oh, how do you mean? What do you mean by that? What do I mean by that? <laughs> God like, damn it. I no, that. I'm on the spot. I didn't make notes. <laughs> Shit. I, I feel, I feel that, right? Cause I feel like I can already connect and understand to that. But yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm it was like, from your perspective. Well, it was like borderline OCD almost. It was like, um, if I didn't do, if I did something, then I would have to do this ritual in my head over and over to make up for 
whatever it was I did. And it was like, and that was torturous. Like it wasn't like, yeah. why would I, and I, if you saw me just walk down the street, it looks like I was just the paper boy delivering papers. But in my head, I'm like, like doing weird chants and rituals and stuff because I accidentally said the word fuck in my mind or, you know what I mean? It was like, I'm just like constantly, um, yeah. Um, self like berating yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if professionally or technically it's self-harm, but that's what it felt like. It was like, I would, yeah. I would, I would punish myself in a way. Absolutely. And I find that it would be, for me, it would come to like positive social interactions. So if someone was really nice to me, I would automatically combat it with, oh, they pity you, right? Mm. They, they pity you. You suck. They're just being nice because you're so pathetic, right? Or mm. if I would do well in something, oh, well, I could have done better. You know, why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do that? And it was almost like instinctual. Mm -hmm. um, and so in a way that almost feels like internalized self-harm too. Just not allowing yourself to have any positive interaction. What was causing this? Or a bunch of things, right? Like it's, it's that, that combination. So I will say in my family, there's a lot of mental illness. Um, so there's <laughs> <laughs> definitely the genetic predisposition there. What kind of mental illness? Oh, let me just list it off for you. Um, <laughs> there's depression and anxiety. There's bipolar. There's OCD, um, ADHD, and then all the symptoms that kind of follow that. So like insomnia, I guess, I guess those are really just the main ones though. Well, yeah. Um, and a lot of times anxiety and depression are a symptom of ADHD and bipolar and OCD. Uh, and all is there of addiction? That, right? Yes, actually. That was the one that I was about to mention. Oh. Um, yes. Addiction is on both sides of my family too. Um, one that, knock on wood, I've... I've been able to scapegoat, which is actually crazy because when we talk later, a, a huge part of my coping was drinking and partying. But of course, that was during my university years where that's very normalized. And so you're able to cover that well. Little did people know that if I didn't go out three times on the weekend, I would be at home having a panic attack and crying mm. <laughs> if I wasn't blacking out. But, but you want to get to that later. Weird. Yes, yes. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll keep going down this road. Um, a little teaser for you. Yeah, a little teaser for you. Um, so yeah, 11 and 12, I knew I'm constantly having suicidal ideations. They brought me a lot of comfort. I was self-harming in ways that I didn't even acknowledge as self-harm. And if anybody had even looked at me or asked how I was doing, I'm fine. I'm fine. Don't worry about me. I'm completely fine. What do you mean? What do you mean? Right? Mm -hmm. It would be 100% complete denial. Did people ask because they could see you weren't fine or just in general, they were just like, hey, how are you doing? And at this point, no. Right? No one really thought too much of it. I'd And I've always been quite an introverted person. Right? So like even growing up, like I liked to do my own thing. I would hide in my room for hours. And I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. I... <laughs> started having these feelings at an early age so that could also just be what was normal for me right so it wouldn't mm -hmm. have been a change in my behaviors mm -hmm. but but you looking back now you think you might have been isolating absolutely and especially during my teenage years like I know ages 13 14 that's probably the worst it's ever been for me um I saw you check your notes <laughs> That's why. Let me just flip my page here. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I'll, I'll stop. No, that's okay. Um, yeah, ages 13, 14 is really when it got really bad. And that's when I just assumed nobody cared. Nobody would ever care. Nobody would ever even understand. Like, no one, I wouldn't even be able to verbalize how horrible I felt. And then I remember by 14. Sorry, one question. Yeah. Do you have siblings? I do. I have an older sister. Just want to get a feeling of your yeah, and dynamics at this point, and stuff. Yes, absolutely. And then at this age, though, we were like worst enemies. <laughs> like, mm. yes, which I felt like I had no one I could really go to. Um, with that said, though, I did have one friend and she is still 
my best friend and we were in the fucking trenches together we were both we like joke there's this band called the suicide boys and like we were the suicide boys and then in a way she kept me alive in a lot of ways because i finally have one person who i can share just how dark things are and who i loved so deeply on the other side though we were just feeding into each other right right? so her shit stunk just as much as mine did. Ooh. And right? Like it wasn't. And so it's kind of like that that misery loves company and you feed into it. Yes, I've seen that many times. And when I was in the psych ward or in addiction treatment, it's like uh-huh. people not not just romantic relationships, but like, yeah, people like yeah. become codependent with each other and enable each other. And it's just like, no, 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 don't. Yeah. yeah. Or like, oh, you feel this shitty. Let me tell you about how shitty I feel, right? Uh, And when you care so much about that person, that's going to bring them down. And like, that was a mutual exchange for us. So it was very bittersweet of like, I can't die because then you'll die. But at the same time, we both want to (laughs) die. Like, so it was, it was rough. And your shit both stank. Absolutely. Right. Why does every interview go to poops at some point? <laughs> it's a theme. Is it me? Is it, yeah, it's a theme. Nah. <laughs> Maybe I should change the name of the podcast. Yeah. And I feel like <laughs> with, and, I, and I feel like with depression, there's a large part, and I say this knowing that if anyone had ever said this to me while I was going through it, I would have cried and told them they simply don't understand. But now I can say a lot of it, it's I'm going back to shit. It's sitting in your own shitty diaper right? It's, you find such deep comfort in pitying yourself. And that's something that again, that's a default. It's, it's, this is what I know, right? I suck. Of course I suck. Oh, boohoo me. And to put it very lightly, but again, if, if someone had said that to me when I was really in the trenches, well, fuck you, you don't get it. Right. How, how can you say that I'm pitying myself? I literally want to die. And that statement in itself is quite pitiful, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and now I can say that, like, for me, and I think a lot of people, depression is really just a reflection of, like, self-hatred. I say hatred with the full weight and extreme of what that word means. Um, but I really started to reflect it outwards, right? And so I acknowledged that, you know, I suck and I want to die. But I hate everyone. I hate everything, Everyone made me feel insecure. I was judgmental. Everything about the world sucked. Were you and emo? then it was emo, 100% emo. Mm. But I put up the front of like, I'm nice and I'm fine. And, and how are you? Because I did truly care about the people close to me. Like that love was pure and real. And that's honestly the thing that's probably always kept me going, right? Mm-hmm. It's always been my main protective factor of not wanting to hurt other people. So even though I hate everyone, I don't want to hurt anyone. At 14, that's when I started to make my suicide plan. I was writing the letters. I was collecting the pills. I was I was going to fucking do it. I was pretty determined. When you say collecting pills, were you on medication? Mm-mm. Oh, okay. I was just finding what I could. Right. And okay. so you weren't seeing um, a counselor like you, there was nothing proactive. No, 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 no. Because again, no admitting. Right? right. If anyone had looked at me, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I'm totally fine. Complete denial. And I think that really came from a place of like, I deserve to feel this way. Right. Mm-hmm. And it felt so inherent. Like it was like, there's something like deep in me, like this will never get better. This is inherent part of me and so I had this plan and then I remember my my elementary best friend called me and she was like can you please come over my uncle just committed suicide and I was like oh shit and so I remember I went my parents drove me right to her house um and we go inside and I can just hear her grandma like wailing in the basement and it's something that like even now just talking about it makes me really really upset um it was this like deep morbid wailing and her family just not understanding why 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 um they had plans for the future he was building a house next door to them 
They were making plans for a trip. They were making plans for everything that they were going to do. They saw no signs and they just did not understand. And I saw how broken that family was from that. And that really was like a, oh, whoa, (laughs) moment for me. It really punched reality in my face. And I went, oh. It's not so romantic now. Not so romantic now, right? It was like, okay. And again, they they had no clue. They had no reason why. No one in my life had any clue. They wouldn't know why. They wouldn't know where this would come from. And again, my protective factor was always the people that I cared about. Not because I thought that they cared, right? I truly did believe that they wouldn't care. They'd be fine. But I remember thinking my grandparents would be so embarrassed, they would be so, and it was specifically my grandparents. I was like, my parents, ah, they'd be fine, right? That was my thinking. Would they? Absolutely not. But mm-hmm. it was really, oh, this would be so embarrassing and shameful for my grandparents. That was the thing that made me Are they hesitate. No, actually, not really. But they're very old school, British, right. you know? Um, In it. And so I saw this family just be absolutely fucking destroyed and that made me stop my plans almost immediately Mm. i was like whoa okay and so after that still felt like shit but i wasn't gonna kill myself (laughs) and then i got into a relationship and i was like my first ever relationship and i was like wow love i roll my eyes now (laughs) but like (laughs) at the time you know you're a teenager and you're like oh this is so great someone actually cares about me and i care so much about this person that it was such such a distraction right um give them a shout out no i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) absolutely not (laughs) okay Um, the plot thickens then Oh, yeah, because, I mean, that relationship was, um, when I look back on it, because, frankly, that relationship, by the end of it, it ruined me. (laughs) It was not good for my mental health at all. And at the time when we broke up, um, I was like, F that guy, you suck, right? I was Mm. like, I I I didn't hate him, but I really did not like him. No respect. So how did that relationship affect your mental health even more so? Was he a, um, an F boy? Yeah, I think he totally was. He turned into like that typical Jim Chach F boy, right? And I'm already deeply insecure, right? Like so deeply insecure that that imploded so much more than it needed to. Did you have attachment issues and all that stuff? Oh, 100%. Um, yeah, yeah. Typically, even now I can acknowledge like in my regular relationships, i quite avoidant i have an avoidant attachment but then when it comes to romantic relationships anxious mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's not great and at that age i was like f that guy he's horrible trauma and then now i look back on it and i'm like no i sucked too because even though <laughs> even though um sure my mental health was much better than it was before you can't ask for or even give the love that people deserve if you don't think that you yourself deserve love. And I say this with a grain of salt because I really hate when people say, um, you can't love someone until you love yourself. Oh, I, Can I get an amen? I <laughs> because I, I have loved, right? And I loved very, very deeply, even when I was in the worst of my worst mental health. It's not that you're not capable of loving. It's that you're not capable of giving the right kind of love. And it's Mm. that you're not capable of actually accepting love. So even though those internal emotions are there, the behaviors, the external parts are what's missing. Well, maybe that's what RuPaul means by that. That's a very, maybe I've just been taking it too literally, right? Yeah. Because I mean... And also when you're a kid, what you think is love, sometimes it's just attachment or, you know, control and ego, ego, all that stuff. And you think it's love and it's like, I love them so much, but I never let them out of my sight because I had such bad attachment issues. It's like, well, is that love or obsession? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I'm, or, gonna, I, I'm not going to disagree with you, but I, I'm still going to agree with RuPaul. Yeah, well, and, and even <laughs> as I'm saying it, technically what I'm saying is kind of the truth of what RuPaul is saying, because you're never going to accept good or healthy love if you are not doing on some level good and being healthy. Can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> <laughs> RuPaul's a huge fan of the show, so... She's probably listening. No way. I'm kidding. I have oh, no I idea. That. I doubt it. I really. <laughs> I'm going to believe it. I'm going to believe it. <laughs> okay. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, when we broke up, I was losing my bananas. Um, I remember like just sitting at home and like, like not, I was just laying in bed and not being able to breathe. And I checked my heart rate and I had a sitting heart rate of like 120 for like months after that breakup, like my body was just on what's flight. normal heart rate for me. It's around low seventies. Oh shit. And you were up to one twenty. Yeah. Like I was really losing my bananas. <laughs> Holy moly. <laughs> yeah. I was just like full anxiety Fight or flight all the time. Yes. A hundred percent. And that victim mindset, like I was so deep in being the victim and playing into that pity piece that talked about in depression, right? Woe is me. I've been so wounded and harmed and this guy sucks and he was horrible. Meanwhile, I never wanted to leave the house. I never wanted to meet his friends. I never brought up my concerns. I didn't communicate well, like all of these things that at the time, God forbid, I acknowledge I am the victim here, really clouded by that depression. And so, flipping my page here, <laughs> um, I was losing my bananas um, and I wasn't doing well. I remember I was just also sleeping constantly. And so I would sleep 10, 12 hours a night. The moment that I got home from school, I would have a nap. During my breaks at work, I would have a nap. I'd get home. I'd sleep. I wasn't really eating. Like, it was... I was probably spending more than half the day just sleeping. This has nothing to do with anything, but where did you work? I was working at a, a grocery store, actually, at this time. And nice. then, um, yeah, it was a dad's organic. It was like oh. a health food market. Mm -hmm. And that's actually how, um, like, a pinnacle part of my health journey is when I met um, Dr. Marika Geis. She's a naturopath doctor. She's currently practicing in Invermere. And she's another person that, like, I could just gush for hours with love about. Um, I was doing very unwell. Oh, and I was also, I was coaching swimming. And that's how I met her is I was teaching her kids swimming lessons. Um, and then she would come into Dad's Organic. Um, and I remember my mom caught on a little bit. She was like, you're not, you ain't good. Like, I can see that you're messed up, right? <laughs> Um, and she was like, you, your health, all of it, you need to see someone. Um, and I was really into the health food, right? I was working at a organic market and all that. And she was like, why don't, why don't you make an appointment with Dr. Marika guys? I didn't want to, but my mom made the appointment. So I went right scan. I don't, I'm still at the point where I don't care about nothing. And I met her and this was sort of the start of it. Um, it took a while, but I, and again, I was lying about everything. You ask me how I'm doing. I'm fine. And so in that first appointment, that's what I said. I'm fine. What's the problem? <laughs> but she did start of looking into like very basic health needs, right? Like what kind of foods are you eating? Um, oh, you have literally no iron. You need to take your iron, right? Mm. And even just something like taking my iron, my heart rate went down and suddenly, um, and I guess I should have said when I say I was sleeping a lot, I would literally be standing at the till at work and like almost fainting. Like I was oh. like deceased. <laughs> um, and so started taking iron and suddenly I wasn't feeling like I was going to faint and pass out at work all the time. Really basic things. And then one day she just came into dad's organic and she left me a note and I called her and she wanted to hire me. And I was like, what? I remember I got so pissed off at my mom. So I was like, mom, because she knew I was looking for a job. I was like, fuck you, mom. You went and got me a job. Like, I can, I can take care of myself. Like, wow, don't you micromanage me like that. And she was like, 
chill the fuck out. Like, no, this was 100% just Marika's doing. And that was so huge for me because this woman who is so kind, is so passionate. And like, when I say she's a genius, she is a genius. Like she knows naturopath medicine. She saw something in me. And I was like, what? I have value. I have that. Someone saw something in me and they care. That's a crazy concept. It was just like mind blowing to me. And so I started working there. And that was, I think that is what made me think that maybe I could work on myself. And now I'm, I'm working in this office with someone who is telling me to be healthy. And it was almost like that accountability check. Like every time I would see her, I'd be like, oh shit, right. I don't want to, don't want to disappoint Marika. Like I got to <laughs> eat my vegetables and stuff. <laughs> and so it was like that, this wonderful human who wears her heart on the sleeve. She's a genius. I respect her so much. And now she's in my life regularly. Being that accountability, showing me that even though I know now other people in my life, of course they cared about me, but I didn't feel that way. Right. Mm. And so it was like, whoa, okay, word. <laughs> <laughs> so now you're like therapist person is around you all the time yeah. and your mentor somewhat. Yes, absolutely. Right. Uh. And so that really helped. I would say, don't get me wrong. I was still quite loco, but um, <laughs> there was hope, right? Mm. There was a little essence of like, maybe someday I could try. I wasn't at that point of readiness yet but it was opening my perspective to it and you got her um, listening to suicide boys <laughs> or no? i didn't no oh. <laughs> no at this point this point it was more like um lana del rey <laughs> oh okay <laughs> just as depressing yes um but yeah so that's and then i go into university okay i was gonna ask what age you were now yeah okay, so and so this like is around 18... like 17, 18, um, finished high school. I partied hard. <laughs> Horde. Horde. Um, and that's when, what we were talking about before, um, I was just binge drinking and blocking out every weekend, going to all the parties and needing male validation and just not looking. Yes and no. So mm. promiscuous and a little promiscuous. Yeah promiscuous mm. and like just a huge flirt and tease mm. right so any yeah. any attention i could get i was exploiting that gotcha 100 <laughs> percent. and it's funny because when you're um broken and emotionally unavailable it's very easy <laughs> <laughs> to get unhealthy attention which is exactly what i was looking for so that was so almost that was something. almost borderline tendencies absolutely Gotcha. Yes. Okay. Today's episode of Bunny Hugs and Mental Health is brought to you by Co-op. I've been a member of my local co-op, Sherwood Co-op, for, oh, about 25 years, I think. My co-op is one of more than 150 local independent cooperative associations in more than 600 communities across Western Canada. Co-op is a different kind of business. It's not just a gas bar or a grocery store, although co-op is those things too. At its core, co-op is a group of people working together to help their neighbors and build their community. Co-op members are owners and success is shared with everyone. Your co-op doesn't benefit one person or one corporation. Your co-op was built for everyone. Your co-op was built for your community. Learn more about co-op and find a location near you at coop.crs. Be sure to get tickets for Let's Get Loud 2023, Thursday, October 12th. Join us for an evening to bring awareness to mental health and addictions while bringing the community of Regina together. Speakers that night include Alana Boyle, Jess Tattoo, and Dr. Jody Carrington. Just go to eventbrite.ca and search Let's Get Loud 2023. And again, if I, if I wasn't going out, I was at home crying and having a panic attack. Because you were um, getting that attention. I wasn't getting that attention. Or coping um, with alcohol. Right. Or coping, right? It was coping. It was attention. And it was also such an escape for me because, you know, you would go to, I would go to work, I would go to classes. And that 
kept me distracted, right? I'd be able to see my friends. We would hang out after classes. But on these days off, what the fuck was I to do? I had nothing, no coping skills, no coping skills other than partying and distracting myself with friends. What were you taking at school at this time? Biology, which Mm. is hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) because I'm not a science brain Um, but the ego doesn't want that so I also I mean like I grew up in a family that like they value education they value STEM right like the sciences and all of that and I I grew up always thinking I was really stupid that was one of the big things like the mean things that you tell yourself is all you fucking idiot oh you're so stupid all those things and so I think that I went into this hard degree to be like I'm not stupid (laughs) right Mm. um it was ego it was totally just ego talk which is even now I had to catch myself because I'm like idiot (laughs) (laughs) you're such an idiot for thinking you were an idiot you idiot right yeah (laughs) gosh and so I went into it but like I still I didn't care right I didn't give a flying hoot and so i not a, hoot. Study, not a hoot. Not a hoot. You've been cursing all so, this time and you, you, you censored yourself for that one. I know. <laughs> Do you mind how much I curse? No. Okay. That's, I should have asked before. I, I'd rather that than have you just read off a page. <laughs> okay. okay, there we go. <laughs> As I'm over here like, Ooh. Um, yeah, I just, I was in care. a place where I didn't care. Um, I was really self-sabotaging in that my fear for failure was so strong that if I just make myself fail, then it's not a reflection of me. So like I wouldn't study for exams. I would wait until the day before to review and it, and I had such rank panic. So like that's when the panic attacks would start happening at school too. So not just on the weekend when I wasn't drinking, but they would happen. There's a few times during class and I was like, this is horrible. And I don't really know. Oh, I do know, actually. You just figured again, it out? I, got it. I just figured, well, sort of. <laughs> I wasn't looking at my notes. You know? <laughs> um, so I was seeing Dr. Marika Geis, and she essentially told me, you have to work on your mental health. That's when I finally, which was a huge pinnacle moment. So I was having this horrible time during university, but I started to see a therapist. Mm. And like that was earth shaking for me. Because not only am I being vulnerable to the fact that I'm covered under my parents' insurance, so they will know that I'm seeing a therapist. Groundbreaking. The first admission ever that I am not doing well. And don't get me wrong, I downplayed the shit out of it. I just said, school stresses me out a little bit. Um, But that was still huge. And it was also huge because that was the first time that like I was actively doing something that was good for me. Um, it was the start of being open to like actually doing the work of working on myself. And it was, it was great. Um, don't get me wrong. My therapist would give me homework and I would never do any of it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, she did try and, um, get me to go to the psych ward quite a few times. Really? And every time she did, um, I was shocked because I was like, but I was holding back. What do you mean? And then I would boycott her and I wouldn't go to her for like a month or two because it terrified me. I was also afraid that somehow she could force me. She couldn't. I was 18 and she's not a psychiatrist. Right. But it really. Were you still having suicidal thoughts or something? Is that why she wanted to. Really, really bad. Like this was, this was the point where um, they were like compulsive. Um, it was almost like a form of coping. It would be, even if I was just like driving, it would be like a, I wouldn't even know how I got home because the entire time I was just having these extremely graphic visualizations, right? And even in times where I was feeling so, in so much pain, I would just go to those really graphic vis- visualizations and they would actually make me feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think it was that, that control and that relief yeah. and it was, yeah. So you're slipping back into your, your, your Absolutely. old default. Absolutely. And it was, and I, and I was self-harming in the way of 
probably just that extreme self-betrayal. So that promiscuous piece, um, I would be promiscuous. I would want that validation, but then ultimately it made me feel so horrible about myself, but I would do it again and again and again and again and again and again and again. That that's the thing, isn't it? Like those, those bad coping skills, like that's why they're bad is because like you start to create your own trauma. Absolutely. And and it just goes around and around and around now. Yeah. So now you're having constant trauma and it's all because of your bad coping. Yourself. Yeah. 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 That's the, that's when it gets pretty scary. Like I, I, I I feel like a lot of people could relate with your story or a lot of people be like, well, you know, you're just a kid. Everybody has these moments of, you know, breaking up with a boyfriend and feeling crappy and, and then drinking and partying. But, but it's, it is different because not every, you know, so maybe, yeah, people can relate to that part or maybe that's normal yeah. teenage stuff, but like constant suicidal thoughts isn't. <laughs> no, no. So. And it was, and it was very constant. Like it yeah. was, and again, I just hated everything. I hated myself. I hated the world. Pizza? I just, yeah, actually even eating was like a hard time. <laughs> ah. uh, yeah, like I, and actually during this point in my life, so this is part of the self-betrayal part. I went through a period of two or three years where I genuinely believed I was asexual. And like in that t- point in my life, I was like, I, I'm asexual. And this partially probably came out of some of the trauma that I had being promiscuous. But I, the thought of someone touching me made me wanted to like ugh, shrivel mm. up and cringe. Um, I had absolutely zero libido. I would dress very androgynous. I had absolutely like negative interest. And yet I was being promiscuous. Still. Yes. And every time it made me feel horrible. It made me like, oh, like just the thought of it made my skin crawl and I hated myself so deeply. But you made others feel good. So that's nice, right? I guess so. Um, but even then, I didn't <laughs> believe that they, I was making them feel good. And I think part of it was, I just assumed that like no one, and I think I, I, I may have hurt quite a few feelings in this time. Right, <laughs> um, yeah. I was going to say, you probably didn't make, it probably wasn't like that. At all. There was, the other but, person probably felt shitty too. And then people, because I, people would like pursue me and I just assumed all they wanted for me was sex. Mm-hmm. That that could be the only interest that they could ever have for me. But I liked that ego validation of like, wow, someone finds me desirable. But then I would just be a cold savage. Because I'm like, but you don't actually like me. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter how they behave. It doesn't matter their actions and behaviors. You don't like me though, but you don't like me. And so I medication at this point at all. No. And so that's another thing Uh, that is, is funny is my, my therapist was like, go to the psych ward and please take medication. And I was like, fuck, you (laughs) know, like mm -hmm. absolutely no way. Because I was still so deep in the, I deserve to feel this way. I truly, truly deserve to feel this way. Interesting. So your self-harm was not going on meds in a way. Yes. And yeah. and I truly believed that like, this is who I am. It was so like, it was my self-identity. There was Romanticizing no... it again. Yes. And that mm. I can never get better. This is inherent. I, mm. I remember one time um, my therapist was telling me about how she believes that there's always a route to it, right? And I was so fucking offended. I was like, no, but this is me. This is me through and through. What do you mean? The root is um, my DNA. It's in my DNA. <laughs> um, so, of course, I was going to completely refuse medication. And again, that would be such a huge leap of acknowledging and admitting that something was wrong. Because again, you take medication and now at least some family members know you have to take meds. So, oh shit, now they know there's a problem. And that was another thing. It just got real. And always in the back of my mind is, okay, so someday I'm going to kill myself, right? That was something that gave me relief is that I'm going to. And in my head at this point in my life, I was like 25 years. I'll be 25 years old. That's a life sentence. People go to jail for 25 years and that's a life sentence. I've done my time. I can do it at 25 years old. 
That was my logic. And there's this fear that if I go on antidepressants, well, now they know. What if they try and stop me? Right. Mm -hmm. And so it was just, again, denial, 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 denial. And fine. So clearly things were escalating for me. (laughs) It was not going well. I had this romanticized dream of a 25 years. My life sentence would be over. And then again, another very close family friend committed suicide. My mom was their their go-to person. And so we watched another family go through this horrific life event and that was another punch in the face of like whoa okay this was another harsh reminder and I didn't realize how far I had slipped um until that really happened because again I thought it was no biggie I'm just gonna kill myself it's no biggie yeah and it's that much closer now not only was it a friend's family and you're watching the friend's grandma and now it's your mother going through it. Yes. Mm. Right. And so I was like, ooh, 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 okay. Mm-hmm. I might need to take things a little more seriously. I wasn't ready to, but that was another punch in the face. And it's wild huh? because shortly after that's when I was working away, I was doing reception um, for Dr. Marika Geis. And one day she just pulls me into her office and she looks at me and she literally did a whole, this is not okay. And I was like, what? what do you mean? She was like, this is not okay. And I was like, what? And at this point, like, I truly thought I was doing better because I had that punch in reality. I was like, but I've been worse. You know, mm-hmm. I've been worse. <laughs> I, I could be doing worse, you know? Yeah. And she was like, no, this is not acceptable. You need to do something. And I was like, oh, okay. And she was like, I can tell that your physical health is not well. I was like, mm, okay. And so she put me on this um, AIP diet. And I am no naturopath doctor, so I'm not going to go into too much details. But it's essentially where you cleanse your body and it's all about um, rehealing your gut. Because I know, like, I always knew that I was very intolerant when I was a baby. Um, my parents tried to give me milk and I literally shit blood. Like it was, it was a no, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, I still ate dairy, whatever. My tummy hurt. I knew that it's fine. You live. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so like a really minor thing like that. And she pulled me in and she was like, no, you need to heal your gut. You need to do the work. There's this brain gut connection where like, isn't it, and again, don't quote me, I'm not a naturopath, but like over like 80% of your nervous system is actually in your gut. Um, mm. And that's what talks to your body. And so because it was Marika, I absolutely love her. I absolutely respect her. And she's truly a genius. And again, that accountability check. I see her every day. She knows. I was like, okay, I'll do what you say. <laughs> <laughs> And so I didn't want to for myself. I was doing it for her. I didn't care. I didn't have any expectation that this would be life changing. But for it was a six week program of where you don't eat dairy, you don't eat gluten, you don't eat sugar, you don't eat legumes, and you don't eat nightshades. That's a lot. I don't know what nightshade is. Nightshades are things like potatoes, tomatoes, eggplants. It's just Uh. like a variety of things grown now I'm making shit up. But yeah, I'd have to Google it. But those are some examples of nightshades and okay. not even like certain fruits. Like I couldn't have melons. I couldn't have things with super high sugar. And so I was like, whoa. And then in combination of that, I had to take a crazy amount of supplements that are supposed to cleanse your gut. I was like, that's a lot of work. And even just doing the process was almost therapeutic because I was suddenly putting a lot of time and effort in myself because there's not a single food item that you could just buy and eat. (laughs) Like everything required cooking and preparation. And so that actually helped with my eating because eating was always kind of a problem for me, right? Mm -hmm. When I was super anxious, I couldn't eat. And then when I wasn't, or when I was really depressed, I would binge eat and then fucking hate myself after. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so it was healing in itself because I'm putting this time and energy into myself. I'm making myself an actual meal and I'm caring about what I'm consuming and caring about the food in a weird way was almost like caring for myself and no (laughs) alcohol, no Uh, alcohol allowed at all. And hmm. so at this point I had slowed down my drinking, but I was still drinking, Hmm. um, no alcohol allowed. And it was, it was six weeks of this followed by another six weeks. So it was like six weeks of this hardcore AIP diet and then six weeks of a paleo diet to sort of reintroduce foods and see how your body accepts it. And paleo is a lot less intense. It's no sugar, dairy, gluten, or alcohol. So I did this. And when I say like it was crazy, it was crazy. Like I lost almost, and I was eating more food than I had ever eaten in my entire life. Like I, I was shoveling it back because everything was healthy and you needed like four times the amount of food just to feel full. And I dropped like 30 pounds just in inflammation. So like my gut was inflamed, my intestines were inflamed. And when you think about your intestines, they're like, what, the length of a football field? They if that's are? inflamed, yeah. You measured? so they say right (laughs) um i lost all this weight just from like inflammation my face was less puffy i was sleeping better i was sleeping regularly so throughout the years i would either sleep for like 10 to 12 hours a night or i'd sleep for like four there was never (laughs) it would ebb and flow right You're, you're talking about my sleep schedule and diet right now. <laughs> no. <laughs> like Nutella and coffee, uh, then coffee and then more coffee and then maybe Nutella again. And yeah. Bacon. Like <laughs> All the things. Huh. Some nights Wait. four hours, some nights 10 hours. Yeah. Uh, just, just depends. Yeah. That's my life. Yeah. But I, I did this diet and all of a sudden... <laughs> I was able to sleep regularly. I lost all this inflammation and and it wasn't about the weight. It was about the fact that like I used to live and I didn't realize how much pain I was in before, but chronic stomach pain, chronic bloatedness, chronic indigestion. I remember my wrist and my elbows. I used to not be able to sleep with them bent because I would wake up and they'd be so achy. And like, I was like 20. Like, why was I in so much pain? And I did these things and suddenly, again, I could sleep. I had energy. My body was literally in zero pain. I was able to work out and actually see progress. I had the motivation to work out. What? Mm. Um, wild. Did your poop still stink? Yeah, they, they did. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, they, but they weren't, um, it wasn't either constipation or diarrhea. So that's cool. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, and so my health just did a complete 180. And all of a sudden, I found my anxiety was through the fucking roof. But I did not hate the world. My thoughts were not nearly as negative. I didn't think that everything sucked all the time. And I was shook. I was absolutely shook. I was like, who am I? I don't know if this is good. I don't know how I feel right now. I don't know what's going on. So it wasn't your default and it scared you. It terrified me. Absolutely. And I think that's why my anxiety absolutely skyrocketed. And it was like, I was so hurt. I was like, you mean this isn't inherent? I just needed to like take care of my myself. identity. Yeah. This isn't my identity. I just needed to like heal my gut and uh. take care of myself. And all of a sudden I, what? Um, hmm. and, and it was still, there was a lot of like ingrained patterns though. Like my brain wiring was still on default, but all of a sudden I noticed it. It was funny. I have a playlist now that I can't listen to because I made it during this time. It's called internally shaky because it was like, I was like constantly, I was shaking with anxiety this entire time, but it was insane because suddenly I noticed when I would dissociate into suicidal ideations Mm. and I was like, whoa. And instead of finding deep comfort, my reaction was, whoa, Mm -hmm. like that. 
that's really intense. And then it wasn't until this point I had to heal myself to some degree. And all of a sudden, I was ready to change. So this is when I pulled up all the old emails from my therapist. And I started doing the journaling. I started doing the meditations that she sent me. I started going on walks. And I went ham on cognitive behavioral therapy. Like I went full force. I was analyzing every single one of my thoughts. Why am I thinking this way? Where did that thought come from? Okay, I just noticed that thought that was very negative. How can I change it? And again, it was a really, really disturbing part of my, it was probably, it was drastically more uncomfortable than just being chronically suicidal. Right. Way, way, way more uncomfortable. You were uncomfortable because you were growing. It was, it wasn't your default. This is new. This is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I don't like this. What's happening? Yes. Uh, but that's what healing and growth needs, or that's what it yes. takes to heal and grow is uncomfortability. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was so uncomfortable and it was so painful. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I valued. I didn't know what I liked. I didn't find comfort in the same things that I used to find comfort in. This sounds and like me coming out of treatment. Yeah. And all of my thoughts were fucking disturbing. So like, <laughs> if I, if I didn't, which is huge, which was a huge sign of growth, the fact that my thoughts were disturbing me. Wow. Like that was, yeah, yeah. you weren't finding comfort in them anymore. No, they were disturbing. They were mm -hmm. disturbing. And mm -hmm. it was really painful to go through this because again, I acknowledged that I was unwell, but I didn't think that much of it. Right. Like I didn't. You romanticize like, yeah. it, right? I was like, cool. You completely romanticize it. Yeah. I remember and thinking, then, I'm going to die drunk on a beach, alone and homeless, and thinking that was going to be so yeah. wonderful. How peaceful. Yeah. <laughs> then you get sober and it's like, wow. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I thought that was going to be cool. Yeah, right? Yeah. Mm. And And that was the disturbing part is... I was doing all this cognitive behavioral therapy and just realizing how fucked up I was. And because I was getting better, that hurt. And and don't get me wrong, this wasn't a, ah, mm -hmm. this is like years processing to essentially bring me to where I am today. Um, but it was really wow. hard. So you stopped eating sugar and you're all better. No. <laughs> <laughs> I eat sugar now. The nice thing oh. about... Um, this thing is that I was able to heal my gut. So now that my body can actually tolerate the foods that hurt me. Right. So because I was a baby and from a baby, my gut was shredded. Um, I was just had a shredded gut. And then I did this crazy program and then my gut was healed. And so like I can have sugar and I'm fine. Gluten. Don't get me wrong. I'm bloated. I'm achy. Gassy. Gassy. But I'm fine, right? Like I can have it in moderation and I'm okay. Same with dairy. Moderation, totally fine. Mm. If I go ape shit on it. <laughs> ape shit on dairy. Hey, there, no, there's there's an emo band name. Yeah, honestly, I'd listen to it. <laughs> Suicidal Suicide Boys and Ape Shit on Dairy. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a smart ass. Uh, but yeah, now I can have these things and they don't hurt me nearly as much, right? I can recover from it. I went through so this healing process of, yeah, this reset hmm. and of just being really mindful of like every single thought in my brain and it's exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, um, at what point did you change going for biology at school to? Oh, a therapist. right before I did the AIP diet, actually, or maybe it was after it was around that timeline, though. And I can't remember why. Oh, I think it was because I had signed up for the school semester and I'd gone to the first two weeks of classes and I just really wanted to die. I was like, there's no way I can do this. I'm going to fail, like just complete self-deprecation yeah. and no self-belief. And it wasn't even that I wasn't sure that this was what I wanted to do. I truly believed that I wasn't capable. Even though, like, looking back on it, like, my grades were perfectly fine. Yeah, like, my grades weren't, they were, were you, only a few percentages lower than in my social work degree. But were you 
burning out though? Was it harder or like, well, because it was less, you're less passionate about it maybe or something. You were just like finding no joy in it. Well, and I found it was, so I think I didn't start social work until, oh, it was after I started therapy. And I think that's, Mm. that's what kind of got me through it. And the reason why I switched, um, the reason why I went into biology in the first place was again, that parental education is important, the ego part. And I tried to tell myself that um, I always knew that I cared about people, right? I didn't care about nothing else in the world, but I did care about the people in my life. And so maybe if I go into... You hated people, but you cared for them. At the same time. So if I didn't know, if I didn't have a personal relationship with you, I fucking hated you. But if I had a personal relationship with you, Ah. I care about you. Hmm. And again, even with some of that, you trigger my insecurity. I hate you. I care for you. I do want the best for you, but I hate you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I, I went into social work because I finally acknowledged that at the time I went into it. I hate everything, but I know I care about people and in social work, you work with people. Hmm. Um, and I had no clue what I wanted to do in social work. Absolutely. No clue. I had never, ever, ever in my life thought that I would go into mental health counseling. Never, not even a consideration. And I remember people in my life um, saying that to me, like, oh, I could see you being a counselor. And I was like, no. (laughs) Uh, uh. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I knew in social work, you help people and you develop relationships with them. And so I was like, okay, of all the things in this world, I hate everything, but I care about people. So I'll go into that. That was my mindset at the time. And honestly... I'm so grateful. Like, I don't know what sort of universal push I had that, that made me realize that. And honestly, going, doing social work itself was actually quite healing for me, right? Because you learn about attachment styles. You learn about different stages of life. You learn about mental health. You develop relationships with people. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I'm my own case uh, study. I have my own case study. This is wild. Um, And it feels good to help people, right? Mm -hmm. And I know that's sort of like a a cliche thing that people talk about, like, volunteer. Fuck, volunteering really helped me. And would have I done it if it wasn't the first time I volunteered? It was because it was a requirement for a course. I remember I was in my prerequisite year. I wanted to apply to social work. And they were like, okay, in this course, you have to do so many hours of volunteering. And if you actually like it, then you can apply. And I was like, okay. Mm. <laughs> and I volunteer and I was like, hot diggity damn. I, yes. I was like, okay, this is in fact the direction that I want to go into because I do in fact very deeply care about people. <laughs> Look at that. And so, yeah, I went into social work. I was learning about all these mental health things, intergenerational trauma and really, 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 really working on myself to a pretty exhausted point and to the point where I have to check myself because sometimes it's easy. I remember the first time we spoke, we kind of talked about this, but hopping on your high horse and being like, I got this. Um, I'm a martyr. I'm a martyr and I'm fine and I'm great and I don't have any problems anymore. No. <laughs> <laughs> I've worked with counselors. Yeah. They're crazy. Oh, they're fucked. They're, they're, we're, we're all fucked. It's just how it goes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 100%. At least now I work on it. <laughs> At least other counselors call you on your shit and let you know when you need to maybe. Thank you, Lord McDonald. Shout out to her. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of where I'm at now. And there has been times like I was in a relationship and it was such a shit relationship, like not good. But the entire time I was telling myself, none of it bothered. I was practicing healthy communication. I was regulating my emotions. There would be things that would happen in the relationship that were not good, but I would just tell myself, but I love myself enough to not let that impact me. Your actions and your behaviors are not a reflection of me. The only thing I can control are my own actions and my own behaviors. And I know that's not a reflection of my worth. So that's fine, right? I forgive you. Your behavior is your behavior. 
and not a reflection of me, and that's great. And I was all hungry, Dory, about this. Like, Winning. wow, look at me. <laughs> yeah. Things aren't impacting me. I have self-love and self-worth. And then the relationship ended, and I was deeply enraged. Mm. Deeply enraged, because I realized, if you truly love yourself, you don't, you don't put up with unhealthy behaviors. You don't betray yourself by accepting disrespect. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I'm at now. So now you're learning boundaries. Boundaries and that you can have the internal dialogue and self-worth and self-love. But I don't think it's complete without that external piece. Right? Mm-hmm. If you're not accepting, and again, that comes back to that self-love part that we were talking about all the way in the beginning. Mm-hmm. If you don't accept the love that you deserve, right? If you don't accept healthy behaviors and a healthy relationship well that's in turn a direct reflection of the love that you have for yourself so how in the hell are you gonna love somebody else exactly Uh. i i do really appreciate you creating such a comfortable and safe space um you are someone that's very easy to talk to and i i do really appreciate this opportunity even though thank you i was so nervous about it i think that it's something that is good right Growth. It's that time again for that somebody special, a segment where we chat about who cooperated in your mental health journey and helped fill your emotional tank. Brought to you by Co-op. So, who was there for you? It it doesn't have to be even in your darkest time. I think I know who you're going to say because you mentioned a couple names over and over again. But yeah, uh, yeah, uh, it would be um, Dr. Marika Geis and Lauren McDonald. Do you consider them mentors? Yes, actually. And yeah, friends. both of them, mentors and friends. Absolutely. Nice. And, and now you can add me to that list. Yes. <laughs> As a <Paul> mentor. <laughs> Thank you so much, Isabel. You are incredibly sweet and funny and charming and and nice and and good and and swell and nice if you'd like to contact isabel for a therapy sesh that's short for session uh you can look her up at mt the letters mt recovery family therapy.com and you can book an appointment with her there hey let me tell you about some coming up guests in the coming up weeks i've got a gentleman named shane and we're going to talk about misophonia And that's a disorder in which certain sounds trigger emotional or physiological responses that some might perceive as unreasonable given the circumstance, like chewing, you know, you know what I mean? Uh, I'm also going to be talking with a lady named Jen, whose 17 year old son took his life and about a year and a half later, her husband took his life. And also in the coming weeks, I'm speaking with Nick Thompson. He was on the wildly popular netflix reality tv show love is blind uh and we're going to talk about the well i've kind of talked about this before with other guests but but the dark side of reality tv uh but he's really into into this stuff because he's even started his own foundation you can I, I i don't remember what it stands for right now but it's basically set up for people that have been on reality tv and have experienced mental health problems so stay tuned for all those Please stay tuned for upcoming YouTube videos and for a second episode a week and for more contests. Thank you so much for my major sponsor, Co-op. You can find Co-op all over Western Canada, even Eastern Canada. I'm not sure about the States, but they are wonderful. But anyway, I'm still sick and I still feel like poo-poo. So uh, please remember to make your beds and take your meds. Bye.